The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Thanks, Al, and thanks everyone for coming. Uh, I'd like to kick things off in this forum series just by asking you uh, a couple of questions. Um, do you think it's easy to make friends in Sydney? Or perhaps to get a bit more personal, uh, you know, do you actually feel connected here while you're living in Sydney? Uh, and if you do feel connected, how long do you think those relationships will last? Uh, it's a question that came up recently, last Tuesday, on the Huffington Post website. There's a woman uh, named Kat, uh, Kat Atkinson, and she wrote this article called Why We're Packing Up and Leaving Sydney. Uh, now, I'm Sydney-born and bred. I love this city. You know, I read an article title like this, and I think, what possible reason could she have for wanting to leave Sydney? I mean, are the views too beautiful? Like, what reason is there? Uh, but... As I read through the article, I was saddened, and what's more, I think her experience, I could see the truth of it. Let me read some of it to you. Kat said, early in 2013, my husband, our one-year-old son and I, arrived in Sydney from the UK. Every indication was that the lifestyle would be better for us all, especially our young son. Fast forward 18 months, our second son was born, and collectively, we had an inability to make friends. My husband had played basketball, squash and tennis. He'd made connections, but no actual friends. I'd played netball and taken our son to every activity under the sun. Swimming lessons, library story time, singing groups. I'd exchanged numbers with a couple of mothers at the park, but no one was more than a passing acquaintance. I uh, you know, I, I felt sad for Kat and her experience. Sad, but when I thought about it, you know, I, I actually wasn't surprised. When I thought about it, I thought, actually, I could see how easily that could happen and, and how easily I could end up in the same situation as well. You know, moving, changing jobs, suddenly a lot of those relationships that I, I have, a lot of those friendships and connections are gone. I guess that's a scary question, you know, how many genuine relationships do you have? Do I have plenty of acquaintances but no real friends? Well, after that somber start, let me add my welcome to ours. Welcome to the forum. It's great that you can be here uh, for our new series as we're going through uh, a part of the Bible called Philippians. Uh, and it's, it's called Insider Information because this letter to the Philippians, it's written by a man who was on the inside. Uh, about Written about the mid-first century, Paul, the guy who wrote the letter, uh, he was in prison. Uh, and he's writing this letter to a group of Christians in a town called Philippi. Uh, there it is, a little star on the map there, just on the, on the coast of Greece. Uh, there's the ruins of ancient Philippi. Uh, pub trivia fact that it was made, declared a World Heritage Site earlier this year, so you can file that away. But that, that's the place where Paul was writing to. And, uh, and as he was writing, he, he was writing, and as we heard in that reading, there's this, there's this real uh, deep connection that he seems to actually have with these Christians in Philippi. 
uh, it's actually uh, a really uh, deep relationship that he has. He's been, he'd been in the past, he'd been traveling around, he'd been traveling around through the ancient Mediterranean teaching about Jesus. Uh, he founded the church in Philippi, but then he'd moved on. And so this relationship with these Christians, it had, uh, it had gone through the strains of, of distance, uh, of time, uh, and now one of the guys in this relationship is in prison. Uh, we heard a, a hint of it in the passage, but that'll be clearer in the passage we look at next week. But I think that's an important thing for us to notice as we look through Philippians together over the coming weeks. Paul isn't writing from a, a glamorous point of view. He's not living the high life. And I think that makes the letter really thought-provoking. It's really interesting. Uh, he's actually in a really awful situation, but as we read through the letter, uh, there's this sense of, of joy and hope and contentedness, uh, and it's going to keep raising the question for us of how can he be so con- content when life is so rough? Uh, so this, this letter from the inside, I think we're going to see, has something to teach us. And today, particularly about relationships uh, and Christian relationships, when uh, the situation changes. Um, now, now, there's something worth noticing there. This is a, a letter from a Christian to Christians. Uh, you know, you might not consider your follower, yourself a follower of Jesus, but still be here today. We're glad that you're here and thinking about uh, some of the bigger questions. Uh, so as we look at this letter, this might be a chance for you to, I guess, uh, get in the driver's seat and get a, a driver's eye view of what it looks like to be a Christian. Uh, you know, check the rear view mirrors, uh, see how comfortable it is, and actually see, well, what, what does it look like to live life as a follower of Jesus. Uh, because as we look at relationships today, we, we can see, we, we heard in that passage, Paul has this really deep connection with the Philippian Christians, despite the hurdles, despite the distance, despite the time, despite being in prison. What's Paul's secret? What, what's the secret to having this, this deep connection? Uh, so as we think about that, we're going to think about it in three parts. Uh, we're going to look at the grounding of this relationship, the depth of the relationship, and then the effect of the relationship. Uh, so first of all, what is the basis of the relationship? Well, the secret, I think we see Paul says, is gospel partnership. Uh, the secret, the reason uh, these relationships persist between Paul and the Philippians is gospel partnership. We see that in these first few verses, starting at verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, the reason is, that he ha- the reason he gives thanks for them, the reason he remembers them with joy, it's because of their partnership in the gospel. Uh, now, we can have all sorts of partners. We could have uh, business partners. We could have romantic partners. We can have study partners and sparring partners. And we can have dance partners. So, what's distinctive about gospel partners? Well, there's two things I think we, we should note about gospel partnership. Uh, first off, it, it's based on the gospel. It, it, it's, or it could be the good news partnership would be another way to say it. Um, 
the relationship between Paul and the people he's writing to, uh, it's based on a news story, a news item. Uh, now, Paul doesn't elaborate on what the story is here, but the content of the story is that God sent Jesus to die in our place for all the wrong that we've done so we could be forgiven. And, and he calls us to follow Jesus. Uh, that's the news item the relationship is based on. It's the guts of the gospel message. Jesus died so we could be forgiven. Uh, so following Jesus is a matter of life or death. Uh, so that's the, the gospel side of the partnership. But, but it's worth looking at that, that word partnership as well, because I actually think there's a better word. Uh, we don't really use the word fellowship anymore. It sounds a little bit strange to us, but uh, older versions of the Bible, they would have said fellowship in the gospel, not partnership in the gospel. And it's, it's an odd word, but I actually think it's helpful. Maybe a bit just because it's different. It, it makes us realize this is a different kind of relationship. Um, and there might be an example of the use of the word fellowship that we're actually all somewhat familiar with. Uh, the fellowship of the ring. Uh, you know, quick background in case you've forgotten the story. Uh, the one ring has been found. It's the source of the evil Lord Sauron's power. The only way to save the world is to destroy the one ring. And so you have this group of misfits come together sharing a task. And that task is to destroy the one ring. And the group is called the Fellowship of the Ring. They're united together in this task that they have. Uh, but if you'd like a, prefer a real-world example, uh, there was a man from Sydney uh, by the name of Broughton, and back in World War II, uh, he was serving on a naval ship off the coast of Normandy, assisting with the D-Day landings. Uh, as he was describing what life was like on the ship in the lead-up to the invasion, he was saying, you know, no one on the ship, regardless of rank, thought about their own interests. Instead, everyone was focused on actually doing the task at hand, helping each other to achieve the mission, the successful invasion of Normandy. And he said, I remember, you know, I can remember that I had never been happier than at that time. And then he also said, after Normandy, after the ship returned to England, he said things were still friendly on the ship. It, you know, it didn't descend into chaos, but, but the attitude changed. The atmosphere was different. And it was because they were no longer united on this task of making sure the D-Day landings were successful. Mission was accomplished, and so everyone was pursuing their own goals that little bit more. They weren't united in the mission in the way that they were. And so, you know, you might actually be able to think of examples in your own life where, where you've experienced something like fellowship. Maybe you were working on a team or part of a project where everyone actually, you know, set aside the differences they usually had to work towards uh, that one goal, where normally there might have been tensions or strains. Actually, everyone came together, set those aside to get the job done. So fellowship, that's, it's when a group of people unite in something that's bigger than themselves for the sake of actually achieving this mission. And so Paul, he's thankful for the Christians in Philippi and he prays for them because they are part of the fellowship of the gospel. It's way catchier, isn't it? Or way kitschier, one of the two. But, you know, it's more memorable at least. So the message of the gospel says following Jesus, it's a matter of life or death. And that's a basis for a pretty important mission as well. 
That's what fellowship in the gospel is all about. But the fellowship of the gospel, well, I think it's the cause of the depth of the relationship that Paul has with the Philippian Christians. Now, uh, my family background, we're, we're not a family that's really uh, prone to overt displays of emotion. Uh, so when you know, I come across overt displays of emotions, I sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't know, when I read these verses, I, I can see this fellowship of the gospel, it, it's deep. For Paul, it, it's very deep, almost, almost uncomfortably deep for me. I mean, have a look at verse 7 there. He says, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Uh, Now, I know I don't need to tell Al about this story, uh, but just in case you haven't been watching, uh, on The Bachelorette, uh, one of the guys who's been trying to impress Georgia, uh, named Reese. Uh, he's been trying to impress her using his poetry skills. Uh, last Thursday, his poem included the line, There's a brand new spark somewhere in my heart, something I've not felt in quite a while. Uh, and, you know, when I heard, heard this poetry being read, I felt so awkward, I couldn't even look at the TV. I had to kind of look down at the ground. It was that awkward. And is it awkward because it was bad, because she was unimpressed, or because it kind of gave me a flashback to high school when I tried something similar and it really didn't work. Who can really be sure? But the point is, at least in theory, his words kind of showed something about you know, how he felt, about what his relationship and his feelings to her were grounded in. And Paul, he shows us in those words that his, uh, his thoughts and feelings, what they're grounded in. It's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Uh, Maybe I misspoke a little bit before. Uh, You know, when the context makes sense to me, uh, displays of emotion... Yeah, you know, they can actually be really, really lovely. You know, like wedding speeches or, or a friend's birthday speech or, or even, you know, the farewell of a colleague who uh, has been loved by everyone. When everyone just shares just that this person actually made an impact and meant something to me, yeah, that can be a really lovely thing. The context can kind of help it make more sense and it can make it less awkward, for me at least. And, and I think it's the same here. Uh, firstly, it's not raw emotion that Paul's talking about. That word, uh, feel, so it actually, in the original language, it includes more than just emotion. It includes, you know, thinking about someone and being concerned for someone. Uh, and, and he talks about holding them in their heart, but again, in the ancient world, uh, we think of the heart as the, the seat of emotion, you know, the, the love, uh, the love kind of, uh, kind of, you know, part of your chest. And, it wasn't the same in the ancient world. In the ancient world, it was kind of the seat of consciousness where, where feelings, but also the will, uh, where they resided as well. So when Paul's kind of sharing this stuff, it's not just raw emotion. It, it includes his thinking and his intentionality. 
but it doesn't exclude emotion. In, emotion's very much included here. Um, in fact, when he says, uh, God can testify how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, the, the more literal translation would be how I long for you with the bowels of Christ Jesus. And that was the ancient sort of uh, emotion uh, organ, not the heart. Um, so I don't suggest that you go home and say to your significant other, you know, I love you from the depths of my bowels. It's not going to translate as well, but, but that's, you know, that's what the original message was. Um, but the point for us is that this, this message of Jesus, it's impacted Paul so much that it's actually shaped his thinking and feeling. It's been shaped so much that he can say, I long for you with the affection of Jesus. See, in verse 6 there, Paul says, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. All of you share in God's grace with me. Uh, The message of Jesus is we can't actually earn a right relationship with God. We can only have it as a gift. No one has that right to a relationship with God. No one can earn their way into the fellowship of the gospel. It's a gift from God. And Paul's saying because Paul and the Philippians share in that gift, actually Paul has great affection for them. Not, Not affection in the sense that he dotted his eyes with love hearts, but the affection of Christ Jesus. See, his attitude towards them is characterized in the same way that Jesus loved, that sense of uh loving, self-sacrifice, and other person-centeredness. And so Paul's words, they, they point to the reality that his feelings are grounded in. Not the words of someone describing, uh, you know, the fluttering of his heart when he sees that person that he's, you know, got a new romantic interest in. No, it's the, the depth of the relationship is grounded in the gospel, in the message of Jesus. Uh, And this message of Jesus, it says that God loved us. And so Paul prays that these Christians from Philippi would actually be changed by this, that that they would love in the same way. The message of Jesus was the foundation of Paul's relationship with the Philippians. The message of Jesus caused the depth of Paul's relationship with the Philippians. And now we see Paul wants this message to affect the Philippians as well. Uh, those of us who follow Jesus, we're actually a pretty ragtag bunch. Uh, many of us here today might claim to follow Jesus, and, and, and we might look like we have it all together, but we're far from perfect. Uh, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you may not have ever thought about it, but actually it's easy and, and maybe even common to get disappointed and frustrated with other Christians who are around you. Uh, And as we get to the end of the letter, we'll see uh, that something like that had happened in the church in Philippi that uh, that Paul was writing to. So Paul prays for them. He prays that these other followers of Jesus would also have a deep love. Uh, There in verse 9, he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, At one level, it's an easy thing to say, isn't it? I mean, like who could be against someone praying for love? It's it's the basis of a thousand pop songs. 
You know, all you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. Can you feel the love tonight? That word, say it clear now, L-O-V-E, love. It's a love story. Baby, just say yes. And, uh, no, sorry, I'll... <laughs> almost got carried away. But I mean, no one's going to be against love. But for Paul, it's not a, a fuzzy, feel-good kind of thing. He prays that their love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Uh, and when I was growing up, one of the shows I liked watching was uh, Home Improvement. And one of my favourite episodes, one of the episodes that stands out in my mind, is one where Tim, the husband, is trying to buy Jill, his wife, a birthday present. And, you know, the gag is, we know Tim loves Jill, but he just has this complete inability, this disconnect between what he knows about her and his capacity to buy a present for her. And so he just constantly is buying just inappropriate birthday presents, things that actually he would probably like, not that she would like. So we know that love really needs to be shaped by knowledge. But what is surprising is verse 10. See, Paul's reason isn't that they'd love so that they can help each other feel good and feel really loved. Paul wants them to love more and more shaped by knowledge so that they might know what is best and be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. And he uses this image of a a plant bearing fruit. And I mean, we we know it's easy to love in ways that aren't actually best. We can work long hours to uh, to earn money to pay to keep our family in a nice home or going to good schools but then never actually end up spending time with them because we're working so hard. We might have shown love, but have we actually shown love in the best way? Have we, have we loved what is best there? But that raises the question, of course, you know, how can we know what's best? Well, the goal of their self-sacrificial love is that they would be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Uh, Part of the message of Jesus is that one day Jesus will judge the world. And when that day comes, Paul wants to make sure that the Christians in Philippi are pure and blameless, that they're living as the genuine article, living as real followers of Jesus, loving each other in the same way that, that Jesus loved them and the way that we've seen that Paul loves them. And ultimately, it's so God might be praised. I guess you could say Paul's praying that they would live as genuine members of the gospel fellowship, of the fellowship in the gospel. And so, you know, as I look at what Paul has prayed here, yeah, I think this is a really challenging example to, to me personally, at least. I mean, I think if I were to write a letter, uh, you know, to, to someone who was a Christian who I knew, uh, I think a, a, lot of the, a lot of the time the letter would more realistically be our... Uh, I occasionally remember to pray for you with something between resigned acceptance and frustration. But Paul reminds me here that if I follow Jesus, I'm part of the fellowship of the gospel. Uh, And that means I have a a deep connection with Jesus and with every other Christian in the world. uh, And that I'll be part of that fellowship until the day of Christ. And I think that's one of the reasons why this relationship is just so vivid and real for Paul, despite the challenges of, across uh, of distance, uh, of time, of being in prison. 
they're still partners in the gospel. Those, those other factors don't change that. So I guess that raises the question for us, does, does being part of the fellowship of the gospel, does that actually solve the problem that we heard about at the start? Does the gospel solve that potential problem of, of friendlessness and relationships that aren't really any deeper than passing acquaintances? Well, yes and no. Uh, you know, I don't want you to hear me saying that, you know, everything sunshine and sparkles for Christians. Uh, you know, we always have friends. We never feel lonely. There's never any problems. We're never unhappy. Because we're messy people with messy lives. And sometimes we do a pretty poor job of living out this fellowship in the gospel. There's still the reality of needing to spend time with people, the challenges of friends and loved ones moving away, needing to develop new relationships, maybe even the breakdown of relationships and conflict. But... But I think the way that Paul sets this up is to say that actually the fellowship in the gospel, that, that relationship we share with, uh, with other people who have been saved by Jesus and that mission to live for him, that actually comes first. And then the deep relationships like Paul's describing, that, that kind of comes as a result. And so if you're, if you're heading back to a situation later that, that feels really tough to be a Christian, where you feel lonely and isolated... I think we can be encouraged here that actually you are in a partnership. Sorry, a, a fellowship. A fellowship with many other Christians who are going about that task of trying to live with Jesus uh, as their king. They're trying to follow Jesus. Uh, so as we keep working through Philippians over the coming weeks, I think one of the things that we keep seeing is that this, this message of Jesus, it changes how we see the world. And today Paul is showing us that as Christians, our relationships with each other aren't contingent on things that are fleeting. They're, they're not grounded in location that can change. They're not based on feelings that ebb and flow. No, Christians are part of the fellowship of the gospel. Uh, that's the message that Jesus has, uh, of what Jesus has done for us, dying in our place so we could be forgiven. And the mission that goes along with that, of living for Jesus, that message is the solid foundation. And it's the solid foundation that we can love others from. Thanks, Al. Uh, folks, there's an SMS number. If you want to SMS, but uh, you might want to... Any thoughts, comments, Lachlan? One at a time, please. <laughs> okay. All right, Lachlan. Yeah, great. Uh, here we go. Um, given that if you're a follower of Jesus, mm. it's not unusual for other followers of Jesus to drive you mad. <laughs> um, how do you move from praying for them with um, resigned acceptance or frustration to actually really <laughs> loving, caring for people? Yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah. Uh, some thoughts on that? Definitely. Well, I think... I think at one one stage I want to say we've seen today that it's uh, it's grounded on a on a reality that doesn't change, um, but at, later in the letter to the Philippians I think we see that uh, it does actually take effort and work. Um, it's a call to live out the reality, and so you know Paul keeps encouraging the Philippians to to love, to have the same mind of Jesus, and to look to Jesus as the example. And so I think as as Christians, what we're called to do is look to Jesus who loved us and imitate Him. Uh, and I think actually as we work to love 
other people who you find frustrating. Uh, I think that's that's when the you know the affection kind of comes. It might not ever be um, uh, you know oh I absolutely love spending time with that person, but actually we're partners with them and can get alongside them and say you know I want to see you live for Jesus well, and so I can genuinely care for you. Um, so, uh, I'm going to ask. I can, yeah. I'm, Question, yeah, so yeah. What does love look like if it, like, if it's not holding hands and walking <laughs> on the beach at sunset? Yeah. What, like, what's it supposed to look like? I think uh, the way that Paul Paul paints it, and we'll again we'll see it as we keep unpacking Philippians, is uh, it looks like self-sacrificing love. It, it, it's re- ready to put the needs of the other person uh, before yourself. So we'll see that in the example of Jesus in chapter 2 and then some of the other people that Paul actually holds up like Timothy and, um, and Epaphroditus. I don't want to give away all everything I've got to talk about over the next couple of weeks, but I think it's people who actually are willing to give up uh, of themselves and, and you know, potentially you know, whether it's uh, you know, money they could have earned, whether it's their own safety, uh, whether it's their own comfort and go, actually, I'm willing to forego some of that to look after you and point you to Jesus so that actually uh, the mission of Jesus can be accomplished. I, I think that's the guts of it. Okay. Yeah. I've got one from SMS. Uh, uh, if the basis of Paul's relationship with the Philippians mm. is uh, gospel fellowship, fellowship, the message of Jesus, yep. what does this mean for our relationship with people who aren't believers in Jesus? Yeah, so I was, um, uh, yeah, I was having a bit of a think about this. And so I, I think there's, there's two things. So, so one, that at one level, um, you can have relationships with people who, who aren't Christian. You could be uh, friends with them. You could be family with them. You could be married to them. The gospel is not uh, you know, the only thing that allows us to be uh, close with people. But, but on the other hand, actually, if the gospel is the basis for our relationship, the gospel is the thing that doesn't change. If it unites us to Jesus, and that actually means we'll eventually spend eternity with him, then the people that... Uh, Christians who, who we're united to uh, through that gospel message, who are part of the gospel fellowship, uh, will have that relationship with them into eternity, uh, into into heaven and forever. Uh, and so that's a, a a deep connection in a very different way. Um, but I also think that actually, if we're if we're part of the gospel fellowship, if we believe that uh, following Jesus is a matter of life and death, then actually we we will want those other relationships we have. Uh, you know, with friends, family, colleagues, we will want them to to get to know Jesus because that, that's how those relationships can then be preserved into eternity. That's uh, I, so. I think it will still shape those relationships from our end. But you can have relationships that aren't. You know, you don't need to be a Christian. Have a have relationships with Christians as an exclusive thing. Yep. Okay. Uh, one more. Uh, hmm. um, uh, Paul feels so close and strongly with these people. Uh, is it true to say um, uh, that this is sometimes missing from churches today? Um, if so, uh, why is it missing? Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, it can be missing from churches. Um, there are a couple of uh, comments from friends who, who I originally saw the article um, about Kat uh, that we heard at the start uh, who, who commented the same sort of thing, that even in churches... Uh, things can be uh, lonely and and isolated. Um, uh, so I guess a, a couple of things that, that could potentially go wrong. I, I wonder if sometimes uh, it's because actually we're, we've lost sight of the main game. We've lost sight of the fact that we're meant to be encouraging each other to keep living for Jesus uh, and to be, I guess, a, aware of how we can be loving and encouraging those people who God's placed around us. Um, 
But I guess at the at the other end of the spectrum, sometimes I, I wonder. I know in my own life, sometimes I've I've sort of thought, oh, you know, I really don't feel very loved by some of my friends who are Christian, uh, who who I really felt like should be looking after me and doing a better job than they are. Um, but when I've thought about it, I've I've sort of thought actually I, I do know they're trying to live for Jesus, and you know their life situations change. Maybe they've just gotten married, maybe they've had a, a kid, and that means they actually can't love me in quite the same way that I, you know, they had done before. And actually, maybe I can care for them and keep how to figure out how do I keep pointing them to Jesus. And so as you, you're in relationships and they change, uh, I, know, I know from my experience, I think I need to sometimes look to Jesus and remember that he loves them and that maybe, uh, yeah, things have changed a bit. Uh, so I think there's a, a, couple of, a couple of thoughts to throw in there. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.